0: All right, take your Bibles this morning and turn to Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, and I know that uh, it's an amazing thing to me, and Brian even mentioned, it sounds like, you know, it seems like a lot of the songs that we're singing this morning were songs that were about Jesus, and they were, and that's it it always, I don't, I don't uh, do the song schedules, Becca does those, and uh, she she puts all the music together and, and, uh, you know, who's going to do the specials and when and the choir songs and all of that kind of stuff, and she always, how does this look? And I'm, hey, it looks great to me, you know. But, but it's always amazing to me when all of the songs that we sing line up perfectly with the message because, well, okay, she writes my messages too, but, no, she does not. She doesn't. But it's, it's always amazing to me when the songs that we sing line up with exactly what I'm going to preach. She doesn't know what I'm going to preach. She doesn't know what I'm going to, you know, what, I, what my topic is or what my... Uh, what my text is going to be, or any of those kind of things, and so when the songs line up with the message, it just confirms in my heart, and okay, just because the songs don't line up with the message doesn't mean that I'm preaching the wrong thing, but it just always confirms it in my mind that, that, that this is exactly what God wants me to preach this morning. You know, there's a lot going on in our world today. I had thought about trying to address a lot of those things in a message, but I've moved away from that this morning, and quite honestly, I, I don't think addressing specific issues will help. Um, I I don't think specific issues are the problem, quite honestly. Um, I've said this many times before, but I believe that the problems that we're having in our country lies directly at the feet of Christianity, and lies directly at the feet of Christians. If we asked, what is the greatest desire of a Christian? Some people may say that it's to win a certain number of souls, and that's a great thing. We ought to be trying to win souls for Christ. Some people might say that it's, uh, that it's to impact young people's lives. That's a great thing. If we lose the next generation, we lose Christianity. Some people might say that it's to leave a lasting impact through writing or speaking. But I think we could all agree that the greatest desire of a Christian should be to truly know Christ. To truly know Christ. Throughout the scripture, a lot of the great men and women in the Bible had a passion to know Jesus Christ. In Exodus chapter 33 and verse 18, Moses said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. David, in Psalm 42 and verse 1, said, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Philip, after spending a couple years with Jesus in John chapter 14 and verse 8, And verse 9 said, Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus said back to him, have I been so long with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? Maybe the problem is in the word know, truly knowing Christ. It's not just an intellectual knowledge. You know that there's 256 names for the Lord Jesus Christ in the Bible. And I suppose that's partly because he's infinitely beyond what one name could ever express but it's not knowing facts about God. It's not just reciting the Bible or hearing a testimony about what he's done in someone else's life. Knowing God involves realizing that he is everything he says he is and more. I want to draw your attention to Philippians chapter 3. Paul is giving this account of basically everything that he was, everything that he had reason to stand on and and brag about, and he says, I'm not, I'm not bragging about those things. In fact, look what he says in verse number 7. Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ. The righteousness which is of God by faith. And he says this in verse number 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. The fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Here's the key. If we could truly know Christ, then we would see ourselves for who we really are and it would change us. It would change everything about us. It would change the way we live. It would change the places we go. It would change the things that we watch, the conversations we have, the way we dress, the way we witness, and on and on and on. The list goes. Truly knowing Christ would change everything about modern Christianity, if we truly knew Christ. Jesus Christ is not just a nice little name on a t-shirt. He's not just a story that we tell at Christmas. It's not a name that we throw around to feel spiritual. He's not a cherry that we put on top of the ice cream of life. Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the creator. He's the savior. He's our risen lamb. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the judge of all the earth. He's a great and powerful king. Do you know him this morning? Do you know him? The message this morning is very simple. How can we truly know Christ? I want to give you three ways that I may know him. Let's pray, and we'll look at a few of these things this morning. Father, again, we thank you for the time we can spend together. I pray that you bless it, use it in our lives to help us be what you want us to be, and to truly know Christ. Thank you for what you do, in Jesus' name, amen. The first way that we can know Christ is to seek him. And obviously, the very simplest way is to seek him for salvation. That is is basic. You'll never know Christ in the simplest degree if you don't ask him to be supreme in your life, if you don't ask him to be the king of your life, if you don't uh, ask him to forgive your sins and to turn in faith to Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10 and verse 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse number 6 Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Now that's a great verse that we can use for somebody who is not saved that needs to turn to Christ. But look what he says in there, Turn to Christ again. There's a lot of people who know Jesus Christ when they book knowledge because they either grew up in church or because they've heard the message of the gospel so many times that they could recite it back to somebody else. They might even be able to lead somebody else to Christ, but they've never come to know Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior. And I believe there's so many people, when we've looked at this verse in Matthew chapter 7, that one day are going to stand before God and say, Look at everything that I've done for you. Surely you know me. He's going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. There's a lot of people in modern Christianity that fit exactly in that mold. They throw the name of Jesus around. They wear a crucifix around their neck. They're willing to stand up on Sunday and wave their arms around and sing Jesus and all of that kind of stuff, but they don't truly know him because they've never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. One day you're going to wake up on the banks of eternity and you'll have to stand before an almighty God. If you've waited... Until then, it's too late. We ought to seek him for salvation, but number two, seek him in supplication. Turn over to Jeremiah chapter 29, if you will. These are some of my favorite verses in all the Bible. God used these in a tremendous way in my life when I was in college, and if I had what I would consider to be life verses, these would be at Jeremiah chapter 29. The key to knowing God, the key to all of life is spending time with God. I don't have time to go into the whole backstory here in Jeremiah, but Jeremiah uh, gave a warning to the children of Israel that if they did not turn to God, they were going to be carried off into captivity. Boy, if that doesn't look like exactly what's happening in this country today. God's given us warning after warning after warning, and we're not heeding that warning, and Christianity is heading for some serious trouble. Not that I'm not, I'm not saying that Christianity is about to go extinct or something like that, but those who really are Christians, I believe, are going to be heading for persecution before too long in this country. And then we're going to see who the real Christians are. You know that in China, a, a, a friend of mine that I was in college with for a couple of years ended up going to China as a missionary. He was at, this, he was at camp this week. He's on furlough. I set up a meeting for him to come in and be with us in uh, September. He's a missionary in China. Do you know what that means? That means that he has to be a real Christian because there's a very real threat that if it comes out that he's a Christian, he's going to be in jail, he could be killed. At the very least, he'd be kicked out of the country and never allowed back in. He has to be careful who he talks to about Christ because everybody could be a communist agent and you don't know who it is. People within their own families don't even know who the communist agents are. And they give them a reward for turning people in for anything that they do that violates their government. And they'll turn in their own family to get this reward. He's seen several people come to know Christ as their Savior since he's been over there. He's been over there about four years. But you know what? The people who are Christians in China are real Christians. Do you know why? Nobody's playing Christianity. If somebody comes up to you and says, are you a Christian? Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I'm a Christian. All right, let's go to jail. No, 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 I didn't mean it. I'm, I'm really not. But that's what we have in America. That's what so many people are playing Christianity. And it's easy to say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I go to church. Yeah, I do this. Yeah, I hold the name of Jesus Christ high in my life. And all of these, it's easy to say that and not mean it because there's no consequences for that. But I believe that that's coming in this country. It's going to come a point when you better seek Christ and you better really know him, or you better not claim to know Jesus Christ at all. And we're going to find out who's the real Christians and who are not. But the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse number 11, they had to be taken captive because they didn't turn back to Christ. And so God tells them this For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. The way that you truly get to know somebody is just by spending time with them. Oh, you can say that you know Michael Jordan because you watched him play basketball growing up. I used to tease the uh, the kids in my uh, that I that I taught in, in class, you know, they, they all had their basketball teams and whatever other teams that were in you know that they followed and they'd come in and they say, Oh yeah, we won last night. I said, What do you mean we? You don't play on that team. You have no idea who those people are. What do you mean, we? Well, it's my team. No, it's, okay, you might know of those players, and you might know stats about them, but you don't know those players, and that's the same way that it is with Christianity. We might know about Christ because we spend so much time in church. We might know about Christianity because we've listened to so many messages and everything else, but do you truly know Christ? It's going to take persecution, I think, for people to really get to that point. You know that Christianity, as much as I don't want to be persecuted myself, that would be the best thing that could ever happen in this country, is that Christians start getting persecuted for their faith. I don't want to see it happen, but it would be the best thing. You know that that, that, that it's been said many times that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You know why? Why? because if you're willing to stand up for your faith to the point that they're going to kill you for it then that means it's real that means it means something to you that means it is real in your life and you truly know Christ and you either have to make you got to make a decision that you're either going to be all Christian or no Christian because you're going to be persecuted for it even if you just say that that's what you are it's coming it's coming but the way that we truly know Christ And when persecution does come, look, the Bible says in verse number 11, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. He's trying to get us to the point where we want to know him. He's trying to get us to the point where we'll do whatever we have to, to seek him, to truly know him. God's no different than spending time with a close friend and getting to know him that way. He's our father. He longs for that fellowship with us. We, all, we say, say our prayers so often, but do we really pray? Do you know how to get a hold of God? Are you on praying ground? Suppose something were to happen in your life and you had to beg God for mercy for something that was going on. You had to beg God for the life of your child. Are you on praying ground with God? Do you know how to get a hold of God if this afternoon you ended up in a hospital room and Somebody that you know and love dearly on a ventilator that's about to die? Do you know how to get a hold of God in those moments? That's how you truly know Christ. Do, we, do the real desires of our hearts come out in our prayers do we just speak words for the pleasures of men's ears? That's the way that so many people pray. They don't have a quiet time alone with God. The only time they pray is when they're standing up in front of people at church. And they know how to pray to make it sound good but it's bouncing off the ceiling. It's not reaching God's ears because He doesn't truly know you. And until we truly know Him, He's never going to have that relationship with us. We may as well fall on our knees and worship gods of stone as to offer the living God a prayer of words only, but so many Christians, even even true Christians, that's all they know is just how to offer words to God. They don't know how to get a hold of Him. But that's what Christianity in America has become if we ever even make a show out of it. Our prayers have to be sincere or God's not even going to hear them. And why not pray? Because God's either going to give us what we ask for or he's going to give us something so much better. We can know Christ when we seek him, but also when we surrender to him. Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 7. I should have had you keep your finger in there, maybe, but back to verse number 7. Paul says, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. You realize what he's saying? Everything that I can count as an accolade, everything that I can say about me, everything that I've gained, everything that I've become, they don't count for anything. They don't count for anything. He says, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. The only thing that matters is what we do for Christ. That's it. You can't take it with you when you go. Now, you have to live. You've got to work. You've got to make money. There's nothing wrong with having things if God gives those things to you. But do you understand that all of those things count for absolutely nothing in eternity? Only what we've done for Christ is what's going to count in eternity. And Paul says, all of those things that I could brag about, those things are worthless to me. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. In other words, compared to knowing Christ, everything else is worthless. Everything else is a pile of manure in a horse barn. That's what everything is compared to knowing Christ. That's what he says. Those things... For whom I would suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. They're worth nothing to me that I could just know him and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. I read a story about a pastor who had been in the ministry for 35 years, and he was pretty successful. I don't know him. I have no idea who it was. His name was not given in this story that I was reading, but God had to bring him to a realization, and he was actually writing this story himself. Uh, Maybe his name was given, it's just, it's been lost on me, I don't know, but he was still reeling from the effects of a stock market crash a few years before when he learned that his wife had a a very malicious virus that lasted for two months, and she made it through that, but because she had already survived a, a bout of lupus, both of her kidneys failed, And she was on dialysis five times a day, seven days a week. The pastor had some health problems that were actually serious himself, but he made it through them. In the middle of that time, he was in a serious car accident that totaled this beautiful car that he had saved up for years and years and years to buy. In May of that same year, his father fell down a flight of stairs, died in the hospital a couple days later, just before Father's Day. At the same time, all of that was going on, his, his daughter was threatened by a stalker, and they had to live under that constant threat for months. A month later, his wife had to have surgery to remove a huge blood vessel from her arm to use it as a backup for her hemodialysis, and when they put that artery in, it failed. And he, obviously, they were, they were going through all kinds of different things. They, they uh, gave her some medicine to combat the failed artery, Uh, But that medicine came with some serious side effects, and one of those was that she had a stroke. You think this is made up because it's just one thing after another. But he went home uh, after spending a few days with his wife in the hospital, and he got a call from his wife uh, saying that that doctors were telling her that they were not expect her to make it overnight. And so he rushed over to the hospital, and she made it through. But in desperation, he cried out to God, And he told them that all that had been happening to him finally pushed him over the edge. And he said, I know God doesn't speak in an audible voice, but he said, it's almost as if God said, good. I've been waiting for you to cast all of your cares upon me. You were over the edge a long time ago, but I was just waiting for you to realize that I am everything you need. To live in true surrender, we have to throw ourselves upon the rock. Jesus Christ, we must be broken. We have to experience our own Garden of Gethsemane. Look at at what Jesus went through in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Bible says he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. He was broken over what was about to happen. We have to first die before we can experience the power of the resurrection. I understand why the church is not experiencing revival today. You know why that is? It's because we're not dead We're not dead to self. We're not dead to the pleasures of this world. We're not dead to the things that are keeping us from being everything that God wants us to be. And until we die to self, we're never going to be alive to Jesus Christ. We've distorted the Great Commission into what can God do for me instead of what can I do for God and for the cause of the gospel How can I spread the message of the gospel? No, so many Christians are content to just sit back and relax in church and let everything come to me. Let God give me the blessings of being a part of this church. Let God give me the blessings of saying that I live for him. Let God give me the blessings of doing all of these things that being a Christian means, when in actuality, we should be out there doing for Christ. What can I do for Christ? Because in the end, like I said already, the only thing that matters in this life is what we've done for Jesus Christ, and that comes only when we surrender everything that we are, everything that we have to Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean you've got to go sell all of your possessions and give all the money to the church. I'm not saying that, but we ought to be willing to do that if that's what God wants us to do. I'm not saying that you got to quit your job and go be a missionary in Africa, but we ought to be willing to do that if that's what God wants us to do. That's what surrender is all about. I don't belong to me. My life is not my own. It belongs to him. And whatever he wants me to do, whatever he wants me to be, wherever he wants me to go, I ought to be willing to surrender all of that to him and go do it. But there's so much pleasure in this world today. There's so much entertainment. There's so many things that we've got to do to enjoy life. That everything that Christ wants is in the back burner and everything that I want is in the front. And so many Christians live as if their life belongs to them. Oh, I'll, I'll do anything that God wants me to do. No, not most people. They'll say that, but when it comes down to it, don't ask me to do anything more than what I'm already doing. Don't ask me to give my life to Christ. I already give my money to the church. I already come to church At least once a week. Don't ask me to do more than that. That's what surrender is all about. See, we want the power of the resurrection without the fellowship of his sufferings. But that's what knowing Christ is all about. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Being made conformable unto his death. You can get sick of your life of sin and you can get fed up with the way you're living and you can determine that you're going to change and that you won't do it anymore. But all the determination in the world is not going to make a a bit of difference if you're not spending time with God. If you're not spending time with God on your knees and in his word, all the determination in the world is not going to keep you from that sin. And I don't think there's any Christian that has any kind of Christianity in his life at all would say, Oh yes, I want to be right with God. I want to live for Christ. But why is it that our lives are so filled with sin? Why is it that our lives are so filled with with all of the things that the world has to offer instead of the things that Christ wants us to do? Determination is good, but determination is not going to keep you right with God. Your determination'll last a week, it might last 2 weeks, but before long you'll be right back in the middle of that sin and you'll probably just give up and quit completely because you realize that you can't do it on your own. And yet so many of us are trying to do it that way. Determination is not going to make a bit of difference if you don't really know God. You have to surrender everything to him. You have to be willing to give up your your dreams and your desires and your ambitions and your goals and your plans and your luxuries, whatever it is, and submit everything to the will of the Father, that you may truly know Him. Determination without supplication will get us no closer to a spiritual life than the apple got Eve to living forever. Determination is not going to get us any closer to Christ than that donkey carried Balaam. It's almost like an angel with a flaming sword is standing in front of us and saying, you're not coming this way. Not with the life that you're living. Not with not with your life the way that it is. A lot of churches are lifting them up and they're showing record growth, but the Jesus that they proclaim is is so often just the the gift giver or the blessing giver or the wealth maker or the, the peace provider or the great healer, all of which he is. But they fail to lift up the battered, bruised, bloody, and broken body of Jesus Christ who gave his life on the cross for me. Yes, He he provides things for us. Yes, He gives things to us. But this this idea of the prosperity gospel, that if you just say you're a Christian and you just do the best that you can to live for Christ, that He's going to make all your dreams come true. No, that's not Christianity. Christianity is lifting up Jesus Christ and the cross. It's preaching Him crucified. And it's preaching, I'll surrender my life to do whatever God wants me to do, and I don't care what that means. I just want to live for him i just want to please him i just want to lift him up that's what true christianity is all about and that's what true surrender is all about we have to surrender our will to christ if i want to truly know christ then i have to give up all the rights to myself because i don't own me i belong to him oh and So often we'll say, well, I I can't surrender my life to Christ. You just don't understand what I'd have to go through. Isn't it too bad that God God doesn't understand the things the way that we do? Oh, you know, I, I can't surrender my kids to Christ. I love them too much to let them go, or I love them too much to discipline them. Isn't it too bad that God doesn't have as big a heart as we do? Jesus Christ himself submitted to the will of the Father in the garden when he said, nevertheless, not my will but thine be done and he was God he was willing to surrender everything to the point of giving his life which he did he did that for us shouldn't we be so much more willing to do that for him we have to be willing to say I'm not completely sure I understand why you want me to do this God but you told me to do it so I'm going to surrender my will to yours Not my will, but thine be done. I used to pray with puzzled heart, and oft the tears would flow. My prayer was very earnest then, help me thy will to know. I later prayed with fervent heart, because God's will I knew. My prayer was much more earnest then, help me thy will to do. Today, I pray with yielded heart to my Father up above. My prayer is very simple now. Help me thy will to love. See, we can know Christ when we seek him, when we surrender to him, and lastly, when we serve him. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if you will. A great violinist, Niccolo Paganini, well known uh, for, for many years, he willed his marvelous violin to Genoa, the city where he was born but only on the condition that the instrument never be played. So, the city of Genoa, thankful to have such a priceless treasure, took that violin, but that was an unfortunate condition. Because the way the wood in that violin was, is that as long as it was used and handled, it showed very little wear. But as soon as you stop playing it, it begins to decay. And so that exquisite... Mellow-toned violin eventually fell into disrepair. It got eaten by worms, and it's basically useless as anything other than a a relic. It's anything other than a reminder of the value that it used to have. See, that's the same way that our lives are for Christ. I feel that there's so many Christians that are just rotting away like that old violin. When we stand before Christ at the judgment seat, he's not going to ask us how much money we had. He's not going to ask us how popular we were. He's not going to ask us how well-liked we were or anything like that. He's going to ask us just to show him what we did for him while we were here on this earth. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 13 says, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Everything we have is going to be burned up. The only thing that's left is the things that we've done for Christ. Some days we live in a way that we might hear God say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. But if we don't truly aim to know Christ, we're never going to hear him say those words when we stand before him. During the American War for Independence, a man in civilian clothes rode past a group of soldiers who was—they uh, were repairing a small defensive barrier. And uh, their leader was shouting instructions, but he was No attempt to help them And so this civilian that was going by um, You know he, He asked him You know Why are you not helping those guys And this man that was sitting up On the horse said sir I'm a corporal I don't do the manual labor So this man that was in the Civilian clothes jumped down off of his Horse and he started to help those exhausted Soldiers and the job got Finished and he turned to that corporal and he said Mr. Corporal The next time you have a job like this and not enough men to do it, go to your commander-in-chief, and I'll come help you again. The man in the civilian clothes was none other than George Washington, commander of the entire army. We We don't do it out of pride because we think we're better than others. We don't do it for recognition or popularity, but just out of a love for God. That's why we serve. When you serve someone out of love, that's when you gain a great appreciation for them. And that's when you really get to know them. You do something because you want to love somebody or you, you want to show them that you love them. A life of service, that's what God desires from us. The songwriter put it this way. Oh, the bitter pain and sorrow that a time could ever be when I proudly said to Jesus, all of self and none of thee, Yet he found me, I beheld him bleeding on the accursed tree, and my selfish heart said faintly, some of self and some of thee. Day by day his tender mercies, healing, helping, full and free, brought me lower while I whispered less of self and more of thee. Higher than the highest mountain, deeper than the deepest sea, Lord, at last thy love has conquered none of self and all of thee. Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 20 says, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. The late African-American pastor, Dr. S.M. Lockridge, often preached a message called, That's My King. In the message he said this, the Bible says he's the king of the Jews, he's the king of Israel, he's the king of righteousness, he's the king of the ages, he's the king of heaven, he's the king of glory, he's the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. Now that's my king, do you know him? No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong, he's entirely sincere, he's eternally steadfast, he's immortally graceful, he's empirically powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's God's son. He's the sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. Do you know him? He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and tried. He sympathizes. He saves. He heals the sick. He cleansed the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent and beautifies the meek. Do you know him? My king is the key of knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind and you can't get him off your hand. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. He always has been, and he always will be. I'm talking about he had no predecessor, and he'll have no successor. You can't impeach him, and he's not going to resign. That's my king. Do you know him this morning? No, I mean, do you really... Know Him. True transformation comes about as a result of deep hunger for God. I can't help but think that that's exactly what's wrong with Christianity today. There is no deep hunger for God. There is no deep thirst for holiness. But you know, just like a helpless baby cries out, when it needs something. It doesn't care who's listening. It doesn't care where it's at. As long as it gets what it wants, he's willing to do whatever he has to do to be heard. We have to become desperate for God. God desires for us to know him. He wants us to get as close to him as we can. He, He desires for our lives to be a beacon to this world that is obviously lost. Its way. But we'll never be anything without truly knowing him. Without seeking his face. Without surrendering everything to him. Without serving him. We're never going to be the type of Christian that God wants us to be. See, Christianity is in desperate need of revival. It's in desperate need for real Christians. It's in desperate need for us to truly know Jesus Christ. The world is in a tailspin. Our nation is in a tailspin. And the only way that we're going to get it back is to focus on Christ and on taking Christ to this lost world. It's time to get serious about being a Christian. And we're time for playing at this thing that we call Christianity. Won't you just give up to God and be willing to do anything that he wants you to do? Be willing to be anything that he wants you to be that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. What a need. What a goal. Do you know him? Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for the time that we can spend together around your word. I that you'd help each one of us to take a deep look inside our own lives and evaluate whether we've surrendered everything to you. Evaluate whether we're really seeking you. Evaluate whether we're on praying ground. Evaluate what our prayer life looks like. Evaluate what our spirituality really looks like. Am I just a modern Christian going through this world playing Christianity or do I truly know you? God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would move in our hearts this morning, and that you'd give us a desire greater than we've ever had to truly know Christ, and to truly share him with others, and to truly see a revival in our own lives. The only way we're going to get this country back is if we see a revival, and God, I pray that you'd start it right here in this place. Start it with me. We might see you do some great things. Pray that you help us to know you. Thank you for what you do in Jesus' name.